almost going to fall for Martinez. Antonio trying to get there. Martinez finishes to give away the back. It's an absolute peach from the Paraguayan, Miguel Almiron. Atlanta United in just their second year of existence have won MLS Cup. After our final, JCM Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer, Joe Patrick from 9.29 The Game, Dirty South Soccer all the time is over there. The Fine Dog is asleep. We're going to talk quietly so we do not wake the five-star Fine Dog. She does wake up. Ignore her. Thanks to Kirk Castle on the intro of the song is Chances and Joe, most importantly, build the statue. Oh, my gosh. That was uh, that was a cathartic day yesterday to hear joseph after the game not i mean the goal was good too but i mean the, the post game press conference was the that was the real show that he put on uh no that was great yeah uh joseph forever man i w- i want to ask you on the <laughs> i don't know if the team cut this out of the video that they sent out to media but as joseph was standing up from the press conference he was like good night ladies or like something <laughs> like that did he did he say like ladies and gentlemen or did he just refer everybody no, he no, just no. called no. everybody we, ladies we, we were just the ladies okay. in that situation which <laughs> cool I, I, awesome i died i died joseph. laughing i uh, uh, God. if he wasn't joseph he puts on that little man. he puts on that little squeaky voice like that little high-pitched voice <laughs> when he's like yeah i don't know he, well, he's one of a kind man he's a different breed different breed for sure but uh you know he can't help but but like him Unfortunately, speaking of the press conference, we should probably I just want to kind of knock this out of the out ahead of time. But you got to hear my disembodied voice in the in the press conference because <laughs> I was not there at the game yesterday. So thank you. And Kyle Soto from Dirty South Soccer for uh, holding it down. I had a bachelor party on Saturday, so maybe mm-hmm. I might have COVID. Who knows? So I had to go out and get a test today, but I didn't want to show up on. I, w- I didn't want to go yesterday just to be safe, you know, to protect the players. But I'm fine. So don't worry about me or anything like that. But uh, I should be back on Wednesday. So you still sounded lovely, Jeff Patrick. And you sound even lovelier over on the Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. Got interviews up with all sorts of folks. I think we've got an interview with Nico Moreno from over in Seattle. It's going to tell us a little bit more about Gonzalo Pineda. Uh, at some point here this week. Keep an eye out for that again. Patreon.com slash five stripe final. Come join the discord over 175 of y'all in that thing right now. It's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. What else is sweet though is the shrieks of the defeated. They're back. They're back. This is sports (laughs) prime game time. Sports time, game time, sports time, game time, sports prime game time. There's like a version of this where there's like a full verse of me repeating sports prime game time. I had to cut it. Sports prime game time, sports prime game time, sports prime game time, sports prime game time, yeah. Sports prime game time, Joe Patrick. And there's really, there's really one main topic. I was on reaction duty for MLSsoccer.com, the mothership yesterday. And we, I was supposed to do like a three takeaways, four takeaways. Everything's got to have a number, right? Right, right. But the only takeaway was Joseph. And so the story just kind of shifted in to Joseph. He gets his first goal at home since are you ready for this October 24th 2019 I did not realize that until I, I saw somebody post it on Twitter that's crazy it's a long long time I think Chris Ramondi from the yeah. com staff put that one out there it's a long long time it had been a second uh it had been a second since Atlanta United had won two games in a row do you remember the last time they won two games Ooh, would it have been? Hold on, I want. I want. Oh, it would have been uh, Nashville and Cincinnati, right? In twenty twenty, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty twenty. 
It's the last time that it happened. Put on the board. But look at that. <laughs> good job, Joe. Uh, two wins in a row. And two good wins in a row. Went over the defending champions. Went over the the, the champions of big soccer media. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is partly my fault sometimes, too, as well. But um, two good wins. I mean, that's all you can really say at this point. It, this was not the most open and you know offensive game this was not the most attacking minded game but it got the job done and Atlanta killed the game off I think that's maybe most important right. thing as far as a team perspective that we had seen if so many times throughout this year where this team hadn't been able to finish the job they settled in yesterday and got it done they looked more comfortable off the ball uh yesterday you know just defending than they have in the past I think and you know it, it certainly was a different kind of game to Columbus where it was funny because I was just watching the Columbus game the second half back right before the LAFC game and I noticed that Columbus just kind of sat back and allowed Barco to kind of dance on the ball at the edge of the box and like Atlanta could do a lot of what they wanted to do in that game on the ball and I think that you know their three goals and kind of the open nature of it reflected that as where with LAFC there's a lot more pressing it was a lot harder to really kind of um, you know impose your style in a possession based way so I thought it was a good I thought it was a good win for Atlanta United you know obviously you always want to see the team dominate dominate the game and just, you know, score a ton of goals and, and win by as big a margins as possible. But I think for this team coming off that Columbus game specifically where they had a big lead and it was kind of that, you know, they let up a goal late in the second half and then it was kind of getting, you know, touch and go at the end there um, to see them kind of hold on to this one goal lead against what I still think is a good team uh, was it was a really important win. And I kind of want to ask you about kind of LAFC, uh, because to me, they still seem like a pretty high level opponent we have to do this <laughs> i mean I, well i'm just generally speaking like that didn't that didn't come off to me like two non-playoff teams that game looked like two playoff teams honestly lafc are a team that has been in seventh place for a long long time now including back to last year and even though the xg and the underlying numbers indicate that this is a team that is much much better than that they're actually second in expected goals according to american soccer mm. analysis this year um if you're in seventh for two years you're kind of just a mediocre team <laughs> yeah that's true you're that kind, is true I mean, even if the underlying numbers are saying that you're kind of just a mediocre team and you saw it when uh jesus murillo goes to play a pass that marcy made in transition and it's skipped past him off his foot and of course leads to the goal with Barco running behind and laying it off for for Joseph so they're they're due for like one or two or three or four catastrophic events yeah each game and they get torched for it right and they're just broken even by Bradley right now is like we're just broken and dissonant um you know is, and you got to see that I mean did Carlos Vela play yesterday I don't think he had a shot well, um that, that's exactly yeah. what I was gonna say is I feel like LAFC was actually they functioned better when they had Diamande up top as the striker because he could kind of occupy mm. center backs and by doing that that then allowed Carlos Vela to find more space and do what he wants to do and Brian Rodriguez it, there's just a whole different dynamic to that front three now that you kind of have um Brian Rodriguez instead of like a big center forward that can uh yeah again can kind of do the physical nature of the job and then let Vela kind of because he Vela likes to kind of drift off and not really be involved in a lot and then just try to find the ball when they're in position but um i mean that was good for atlanta because i felt like you know especially when they set up in the back three the way they did what that really allowed the team to do in my opinion was it allowed whatever center back was matched up with vela or whoever whatever forward for lafc was dropping off that front line 
Atlanta's defender could just track them and mark them until they got out of position to a point where they weren't a threat, really. And I thought that that really helped nullify what LAFC wanted to do. Yeah, no, and it's, um, I don't know, I, I've described them as the the Nick Cage of soccer teams. You don't know if they're good, bad, or bad, good, or maybe both, <laughs> maybe everything at the same time. Yeah, but even still, it's a it's an impressive feat to go against that front three and keep them in check. They weren't really super interested in being on the front foot. It yeah. seemed like I'm not sure how much that was Atlanta and how much of that was them. It was interesting to me to man has ever, I, I don't think I've ever looked up and seen LAFC being out possessed 70 to 30. That was insane. You know? That first half yeah. was really weird because Atlanta possessed the ball so much, but I think it was you that said something on Twitter about it, where it was like Atlanta didn't have really great movement either, like movement going forward. There was not a lot of off the ball movement in that first half, despite the fact that they had so much possession. Maybe that's one of the reasons why is because they like couldn't find the space for it or whatever. But um, yeah, it was just a weird first half where it was like, I think Atlanta played better, but I'm not sure if they did. They the risk aversion came back kind of heavily. Yeah. Like it was too much, right? Like they started getting pressed and that's kind of the first time anyone's pressed them significantly in a while, especially when the ball came, you could see the trigger was on that right side when it was Hernandez and whoever else was over there. I know. Oh, who's that too? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime those dudes were on the ball, they immediately pressed really, really hard, started using the sideline as a defender. And it seemed like Atlanta was very hesitant to to make runs off the ball because they knew that press was coming, right? They had to kind of check in. Mm-hmm. They felt like they, they had wanted to, check to support in. their teammates because of the pressing. Yeah, that, yeah, right? that makes sense. Because they didn't feel like they could break through it. But when they did make those runs, it was the most dangerous thing of the night. Like a couple of times, Marcy making a run or Zeke making a run or even George Bellow on an overlap and, and maybe Marcy not picking him out. You know, there were a few times there where they really could have kept continuing to go over the top. And it's, it's not surprising to me that the one goal actually did come from that eventually. Right. right? And you would kind of hope that they would do it a little, recognize that more going forward and do it a little more. Rob Valentino said after the game that he talked to them about that in the second half, but they switched formation though. LAFC did afterward that kind of screwed up that plan, mm-hmm. but uh, wanted more runs in behind, wanted more uh, of that from people like Joseph and, and other folks up top. So a little more hesitant. It was a little too Heinze, I think at, at times, but you know what you Marcy plays a good ball forces Maria to, to react and he doesn't do it well. And Joseph finally finishes. It's a good win. And I'm take it. To, to give Valentino credit, I think it was after the Montreal game, he was saying that he wanted to see uh, Barco make more runs in behind. That's something he's been talking about with him. And uh, lo and behold, that's where kind of where the goal comes from, right? It's Marcelino Moreno hitting that long ball to Barco making that run in behind. And I also think, you know, obviously the ball was misplayed by the LAFC defender there that allowed Barco to, to latch onto it. But I also wonder if they were kind of, um, if Atlanta benefited from the fact that they had just changed the shape and removed one of the center backs that was that was in the game to to play with three in midfield. And then, of course, they get right in behind and uh, and, and Barco gets onto it and obviously feeds Joseph. So, um, yeah, kind of just an, an uh, opportune time for Atlanta United to hit the back of the net there. And what a better person to do it, too, with Joseph to get, you know, finally score in front of the home fans. I had just had again, we talked about this earlier, but uh, and he was 
talking after the game saying he like felt pressure to score in these games because he hasn't scored in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for so long. So uh, good to see that. I think he had, he had a big chance in the first half, too, that he missed. Um, it. Yeah. yeah, it was the best chance of the night. Yeah. And it's just weird About to like look at 45 percent chance was according to XG. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird to look at the stats because it didn't really seem like Atlanta created a ton, but they actually did win the XG battle because they had a couple of these really good chances. Um, and also, I think one of the more important things when you look at the stats is Atlanta United won the uh, won the duels. They won like 57 of the 97 duels or something like that. And that's big because LAFC as a team that wants to press and play combative like that, like they are a team that usually doesn't lose the, the duel battle. So I thought it was really impressive that Atlanta was able to do that. I think it's one of the reasons why they were able to you know hold on to that lead. Yeah, no, LAFC has always been a team that has won the chaos. You know, yeah, it's exactly. I see Seattle doing right now, which is where they're winning the chaos because soccer is chaos because it's dudes using their feet to move the ball around. But it's something LAFC did really, really well for a long time and maybe haven't done super well lately. But even still to win that kind of thing against that team is, is important. And it shows that this team at the very least is trying, you know, Oh yeah. even, even if all the principles aren't there to, to have that kind of effort level to just be able to go out and, and win those battles over and over again that's important and it's important and i was well, speaking of battles winning battles i want to give a shout out to george bello who i thought you know sneakily oh, played one of the best games of his career honestly because of the mm-hmm. two the two-way nature of it you know the way that he was able to really establish dominance defensively um and then he you know nutmegged a guy and got into the box and did some things on the left although you know there wasn't a ton of attacking stuff going on for atlanta in the game um he did get on to a couple miles robinson long diagonals which was good to see good to see them kind of have that connection and you know i just generally thought you were talking earlier about the right side with ron hernandez and mateus rosetto i really thought like george bello was the reason why atlanta united was able to have so much more joy on the left side is because like george bello is able to do some of those things that ron hernandez just is and um and they were able to yeah exploit exploit the width on that left hand side and uh just thought it was really impressive uh, the way he plays and i thought it was you know accurate the way that some of the personnel whether it was rob valentino or miles robinson described him after the game because when i was asking where they were like he plays like a man you know like he, he he no longer looks like a kid you know trying to establish a spot he looks like a veteran player who's you know a, a, a really really good mls left back you know, he's progressed physically so much. Too. Oh, yeah. You know, he's just bulked up. You can see it. Yeah. Can, yeah. I can control his body a little better. It's just like he grew up, you know, he's growing up in front of our eyes. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. Little boy George. He can now put that yeah. shoulder in. It's, a really, it's important exactly. for fullbacks because they, they have those kinds of um, duels. You know, we'll say it again. But like, yeah, they, they have those kinds of battles with opponents a lot. And so it's good to have that kind of strength to be able to muscle guys off and, and be able to, you know, control the ball and possess the ball. So great, great, great game for for George. Every time you say the word duels, Frank DeBoer, (laughs) that's what I'm thinking about in my mind every time I say it, too. (laughs) Um, Joseph gets the goal. He scored three times in the last three games he's played. Of course, he missed the win against Columbus, but that's a pretty good record. That's kind of the Joseph we're used to seeing. He's doing it right in the second half again. The last time he played a full season in the second half, he scored in what was it? Oh, uh, like 17 games. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, So, I mean, if he wants to haul off and do that again, that'd be fine. But we'll take this we'll take even getting a season out of joseph because joseph did joseph things in the press conference and just kind of casually tossed a bomb in there it was 
kind of bewildering at the time. And I almost like panic asked him a follow-up question. I'm glad you did. Said it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very glad I did. <laughs> um, but mentioned in, in an answer that uh, six months ago, he didn't feel like playing soccer, right? Like didn't know if he was going to keep playing. And I, I'm not quite sure exactly how he phrased it. I'm still only on like level three of Duolingo. I'm trying. As I really am. <laughs> but he said he didn't feel like playing and I followed up with like, basically it was wait, really? Yeah. I was like, uh, <laughs> you serious Clark? I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I tried to follow up in a professional manner. Um, essentially I asked how serious was that consideration? You know, how serious was he about maybe stopping entirely? And he said, very serious. He said, very serious. He had some severe complications, which we kind of knew about with his surgery uh, back in December. Um, so he had the surgery after he tore his ACL to keep the timeline right back in, I guess, March it would have been. Mm -hmm. um, some complications arose in December. He had three surgeries in five days. Well, That's a lot. And it's funny, too, because I remember the, t the first time when he told media about his infections, like the complications, similar type of thing where he just kind of like threw it in there <laughs> where nobody was mm -hmm. expecting it. And uh, I think he said it in Spanish the first time. And then Felipe had to be the one who was like, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's wild. I mean, you, it just goes to show that like you never know what players are going through when they're in a, uh, you know, injury re rehabilitation situation um, because they're out of the public view, you know, nobody's seeing it. No, they're nobody's scrutinizing anything. And um, it's gotta be tough for a player when, you know, your, your livelihood depends on your physical ability. And it's gotta be really scary when, you know, that you lose some of that and you don't know whether you're going to get it back. You don't know whether you're going to be the same player. And I think in Joseph's case, it was almost like you're so scared that you don't even, you know, it's almost like um, Samson cutting, having his hair cut off or something. And it's like, you don't know if you can actually go out and continue to be the person that you were. But I think that I think that it's clear Joseph is a changed striker uh, for sure, just in the way he tries to in the way he plays, the way he brings players in more to the play uh, more uh, more of an all around game. And that was something that was starting under Frank DeBoer as well. And it's just something that happens with a lot of strikers as they get older and they lose some of that physicality. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's this is all just kind of the part of the story, which is the kind of evolution of Joseph Martinez as he grows with this team. Yeah. And, and if he continue to grow, I mean, they're going to continue to get results. It's just kind of that simple, just kind of that simple. Uh, but there's some new folks coming in to help him get results. We're going to talk about this right now. And business time. Business time, Joe Patrick, and we'll start with this Luis Araujo uh, in Atlanta. He's here. Yeah, we saw him yesterday. He was at the game. I don't know if you, I guess you didn't see him, Joe, but he was at the game, and he kind of had like a little jersey presentation at the beginning. Oh, of fun the game with Darren, um, which I was like, I was glad they did. It felt kind of like college football y yeah. right? Like when they bring out like the new recruits, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So here they go. Yeah. Um. So that was good. Um. He's obviously here. Uh, I think he is he allowed to train yep. without the yep. visa. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's been training. Yep. And so just wait, waiting for him to get into a game at this point. Um, I'm sure Atlanta's lawyers are, are working overtime on that. 
I, uh, you know, I, I think that he'll be able to essentially slot in straight away as a starter as soon as that visa issue is cleared up because he had the full preseason with Lille, uh, played in the French Super Cup against PSG that Lille, Lille won, uh, played 85 minutes in that game. So, yeah, I mean, like fitness should not be an issue. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, if the way I understand it is, of course, he already had a visa, right, to be playing in France. They just have to get it switched uh, over yeah. to, you know the new country there's a lot of stuff going on in the state department though right now so maybe they're backed up a little bit what an absolutely banana statement you said during the middle of that though that he played 85 minutes against psg yeah one <laughs> and then left for atlanta united <laughs> right That's, i know right uh, <laughs> wow i mean his team beat psg last year in, in the league it's yeah, kind of crazy that 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 PSG did not win the league last year in France, but um, yeah. yeah. And now he's coming here. This is um, I consider to be optimistic about that. We have to see how he slots. So we got a few more questions about that in question time. I have a question for you. Like, <laughs> I guess we already kind of talked about this last week, but if he were have if he were to have been available yesterday to play, like, would you have played him? Like, would he have started? And would you have just yeah. played like a back four? I guess. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what we settled on last week, but. Again, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's hard. It's, the, all the back three played so well yesterday that it's hard for me to like pick out like how you would um, how you're going to insert him. Obviously, he's going to be the start. He's going to be a starter and play on a pretty regular basis. But I think it points to something that I was mentioning where it's like if you do want to you know, have a game where tactically you think you set up better against an opponent with a back three. At least Atlanta United right now has that depth to be, to be able to do that and go to that option if they want. And maybe you could, yeah, give uh, a, a player like Marcelino Moreno a rest if he needs it because he's been playing a lot, although he's in great form. But yeah, I mean, I just can't wait for his introduction because he's going to give Atlanta United so many more options. For one more game, at least Rob Valentino has to make that call if Luis is available on Wednesday, his final game coming on Wednesday night uh, at MBS against Toronto. But it looks like Gonzalo Pineda is set to take over on Thursday, assuming assuming his COVID situation is good. He seemed fine. I think everything is fine yeah. with him. Um, he should be good to go. Yep. Um, are we just now getting to the new manager hire? I don't think we addressed that on an actual show. Did we oh, did we not? Yeah, I guess show? we would not have. Yeah, I guess we didn't. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> Hey, Gold is new manager. His name's Gonzalo <laughs> See, Pineda. This is why everybody needs to get on the Patreon because you, you, you will have gotten our whole reaction and context of the quotes and all of that stuff. Yeah. So, um, let, let's talk about it. Let's kind of rehash, yeah. kind of quickly yeah. here, that um, that entire discussion because Gonzalo Pineda is the new manager of Atlanta <laughs> United, which we're getting into 23 minutes into this podcast. But anyway, it happens. Um, Man, no, I um, I think our general sentiments, especially after meeting with him as the media for the first time, are that this is a move that builds on and continues what Rob Valentino has kind of switched on in this team, which is just a sense of belief and a sense of trust with the players. And it brings in a sense of culture um, that Seattle has ridden to four of the last five MLS Cups and that Brian Schmetzer has helped cultivate and create and is still continuing to build on to this day. But it brings it into Atlanta United, which, you know, theoretically, if you're spending more money than Seattle, shouldn't end up pretty okay, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's so funny because uh, I'm a Tottenham fan and so much of the conversation right now with Tottenham, with them hiring this new uh, manager, Nuno Espirito Santo, after the Marine, Jose Mourinho era, is everybody going, oh man, you know, it's just so nice to have a manager of this team that we like and is like a good person again. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of a similar situation with uh, with Atlanta United. Maybe not even kind of. Maybe that is the exactly the situation Atlanta United's in. So um, yeah, I mean, obviously came across as being just like an amazing person. Um, and to provide a little bit of context, I did hear from somebody, uh, well, 
I heard it third hand, but from somebody at the club um, that he set up 15 minute, 15, 20 minute Zoom interview sessions right after our press conference with every single department in the club uh, just to kind of meet everybody, um, introduce himself, let them introduce themselves to him and things like that. So uh, really cool. Like that's exactly what this team kind of needs, what this club needs from its head coach right now. I think that when you look at Atlanta United's roster, it's not doesn't take a rocket scientist to put it all together. And, um, you know, you don't need to fix some things that aren't broken, I think. And I think that Rob Valentino has kind of shown that that, you know, let's just kind of go back to basics here and we can probably be a lot better of a cohesive unit. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this era under under Gonzalo Pineda um, for all the reasons tactically and and who he is as a person. I thought it was also interesting what he was talking about in uh, his press conference a little bit. Uh, Rob Usry from Dirty South Soccer asked the question about his approach to analytics and things like that. And he talked about he was talking about game models uh, and things like that. He didn't get super deep into his thoughts on some of these things, but it is encouraging that he is looking at things beyond like a X's and O's chalkboard and, and just training stuff. You know, he is kind of looking uh, at the, at the bigger picture of all this. Somewhere out there on the internet is a video of him at an analytics conference talking about game models and everything like that. I've watched all of it. It's pretty good. Um, doesn't get too in depth, of course, but that's not necessarily his job to go too in depth with those things, but it is his job, hopefully to understand how those things can be beneficial. Um, and it seems like that'll be beneficial. It seems like Rob Valentino staying on the staff will be beneficial. Um, he mentioned that all the assistants are going to be treated as equals. There's no like head assistant, I guess, mm-hmm. and all this, but Rob Valentino will be one of those assistants, which I think is great for team morale. And considering who both of them are and seem to be as people, I think, man, the, the self-confidence levels are going to be great. We're going to, we're going to create leaders of men, even if we don't end up <laughs> winning a whole lot of games here, at least initially. Yeah. At least initially. Um, but no, I think he also mentioned that he will continue a lot of what Rob has done, which I think is perfect. You don't want to tweak too much. Not right now. Not when things are working. Not when your goal is to make a second half turnaround here and make the playoffs. If you kind of throw a wrench and everything now, um, it, it probably isn't going to benefit you short term or long term. Right. Uh, save it for the offseason. Um, he did text Rob Valentino after the, the game yesterday just to say, I think he said very, very good job. <laughs> That's what Rob said which is good. Um, so he's keeping an eye on that. He should be in on Thursday to, to take over this team. And I think everyone seems seems really excited about around the club to, to be heading in a direction that is also long-term. We've kind of mentioned this before, but Gonzalo Pineda can be the guy at the center of the wheel. He doesn't have to be the whole wheel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe Frank or Gabby thought they had to be, you know, mm-hmm. he could just be that centerpiece that holds everything together. And when you pair some kind of cohesion with a, right. A cohesive thing in the middle of the biggest payroll in, in MLS by transfer fees and everything like that, mm-hmm. then you should win a lot of soccer games. Yeah, that's what and that, that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited just at the notion of or the prospect of, you know, him just being a, 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 a genuinely good person who's not going to try to rework the system, you know, in the middle of a year. And the fact that he comes from a, you know, he, he's, he's an injection of fresh energy in that respect, but he's also, it feels like he's a known quantity because of, you know, coming from Seattle, a team that's had so much success in MLS and he's a player that's played in MLS. So, or he's a coach that's played in MLS. So he knows the difficulties that these players face on a, you know, on a, on a daily basis. Uh, also, you know, I don't know how big of a 
feel this is, but you know, Seattle played on turf and, and Atlanta plays on, on turf. So um, maybe tactically there might be some intricacies there per- perhaps. I know the players, when they do play on it for the first time um, it is the ball spins on it a little bit differently and things like that. So uh, anyway, I think it's just a really good fit. Good hire by the club. I think uh, <laughs> I'll never say for certain whether yeah, something is good hire or not until <laughs> I see it. But uh, yeah, it's, it certainly looks like it's going to be uh, a fun time. I think he can lead this team to the playoffs. I think this, this team has the, the the material to get there they're beating good teams or not good teams i i i'm so low on columbus and lafc i'm not gonna yeah. say they're great teams but they're beating teams that have a lot of talent. talented players yeah yeah exactly right mm-hmm. right now and they'll have to do that again on wednesday but it's also another team who's struggling a whole hell of a lot <laughs> this Toronto. game terrifies me by the way this yeah, game on wednesday no it does um look it's <laughs> It's the team that has the least amount of points in the league. Um, that is not, that's like the inverse of the talent level they have. It feels like. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you're still going up against Alejandro Pizuelo. You have Heldo, uh, Josie is there as well. Michael Bradley is slowly being shifted out of the lineup. It looks <laughs> like he's, his days are numbered in Toronto, at least as a, as a regular starter. Uh, but there are guys there who can do a lot of damage still. So this is not a game you can sleep on. Um, I know they're last in the league, but it's going to be, an interesting time for Rob Valentino in his last game in charge, but I'm very, very hopeful he gets sent out with a win. And I'm, I'm glad he got a home win. Yeah. You know, before all oh, yeah. said and done. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm scared of this game on Wednesday for a couple of reasons. One, the sillier reason is just like, the banter, the the possibility of the banter, uh, you know, of losing to the worst team in MLS right now in the standings um, at home, that would just not be a good look. And because of the reason that you said, because they have so many talented players, it feels like it's a, definitely a, a realistic possibility that it could happen. Um, the other reason I'm scared is just because I feel like Atlanta United needs this game really badly. Like they've got mm-hmm. to k- take advantage of these home games that they have left because they are going to need to go on a run here. Like two wins is really good. And that's definitely the start that you wanted uh, to try to propel yourself forward but you got you got to keep up that momentum and despite the fact that it might feel like oh well we can give one up because we lost two games or we just won two games in a row I mean this one's really important you got to win home games against the teams that are the worst in the league and if it were FC Cincinnati or some team that had didn't have kind of had the same level of prestige that Toronto has then you would think oh yeah this is going to be an easy auto win like don't even have to worry about it but uh mm-hmm. so it scares me well I mean you just need to consider that this is doable right like it kind of seems crazy that we're talking about a second half comeback and a potential playoff spot but looking at it right now uh, after 19 games played for pretty much everyone in the eastern conference atlanta five games back of montreal in the seventh spot three games back of columbus who's in eighth dc united is just six points away in the sixth spot and heck philadelphia seven points away in the five spot all those teams are catchable mm-hmm. over the course of the next i think 15 games if i'm doing math right yeah that's a lot of points that's 45 points there on the table uh things could change in a hurry but you have to win the games against the torontos and atlanta's world. playing a lot of these teams coming up in fact i think they exactly. may only play eastern conference teams from here on in yep, that's it yeah yeah no more, so no i mean western conference teams yeah so i mean they'll get, definitely have their chances to make their way up the table and it's kind of one of those things where it feels like even though the season has been has kind of felt as rough as it has been so far this year yeah you're you're totally right if you win if you have a good kind of close 
second half of the season, it's, I, I think you can comfortably get in. So, yeah. yeah. Eight of the next 12 at home for the five stripes as well. And again, all those coming against Eastern Conference teams, those are six-point games, essentially. There's some hope. There's some hope. And there's a lot of hope. There's plenty of hope. Plenty of hope that you'll see us on the other side of this break to answer some questions. And before we get back into the show, did just want to shout out, once again, our partners at Lucid FC for bringing you this episode of Five Stripe Final. They've got a new shop out um, in Buckhead. It's right behind the Whole Foods there. Uh, the address is 3209 Paces Ferry Place Northwest, if you want to write that down or Google it or whatever. But I cannot wait to see what they get done there because I think that that shop is going to be um, experiential, to say the least. These guys are really creative, and uh, I think that it will be more than just a, a place to sell clothes. So that will be really cool. But you can obviously also order from them online at lucidfc.us. They've got their new spring-summer 2021 collection out now, uh, which you can buy right now online. Called This is a Modern World. It's really cool stuff. The collection brings nostalgic, psychedelic party nights of the past to the new modern lifestyle. Uh, I've checked it out on, on their shop. It looks really cool. The products on this line will be sold exclusively to directly to you on the Lucid FC website. That's where you get it. Uh, they've got unisex sizes from extra small to extra, extra large. And uh, price points from $8 to $380. So there's something in there for everybody. Uh, and it has just launched. And it's really cool. Definitely would recommend everybody go check out uh, Lucid FC. Dot us and maybe pick up yourself some uh, some modern world clothes. Wow, what a break! What an incredible break, best break ever. We'll start with these three questions to set the tone. These are our tone setters for the day. Shout out to our tone setters. Mm. Uh, Jacob asks, more of an abstract, but how do you guys see the club reinventing its culture? A lot has been said about the original culture of swagger, ruthlessness, and flair being lost in the win-at-all-cost mentality. It feels like something new is emerging, but I can't quite put my finger on it yet. John asks, are we having fun yet? Seems like the dudes are having fun, and I'm having fun. Are we out of the doldrums of boring soccer and consistently disappointing performances? And Nick the Conqueror asks, are we making the playoffs so we got more concise with the feelings <laughs> yeah there, right but i think all of them are valid really at kinda. this point when i kind of want to start with jacobs uh, and i i think the feeling is like gosh man when you when you run the worst person out of your like friend group you know and everyone can kind of just relax <laughs> and be themselves that's kind of what it feels like for this team <laughs> like the person that immediately comes in and says oh i hate you and starts all the drama right that person oh, is yeah. gone. You know, that person is gone everyone is relaxed screw that guy they're gone um and everything just feels more comfortable everyone feels more comfortable um the the pressure and expectations are still there i think but no one is causing that to be an issue and i think that's kind of the vibe that we're we're getting you know from it is is a more relaxed vibe but but still a vibe that understands what this team's place should be within the context of the league. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I will say it's a little bit tougher to kind of put my finger on the pulse of the team. Again, this is kind of inside baseball, but like just like not being in the locker room or whatever, you know, you do get when you're in the locker room, you do kind of get a better sense of the way that certain individuals interact with each other, you know, on a more casual level when they're not in front of cameras and things like that. Um, but I would just say, you know, speaking of abstract, I would say that, you know, when when the, if the question is like, how how do you see the club reinventing its culture? You know, and, and I think you were getting at the same. It's not something that's like an intentional act by the club, but it's more of like when you put certain pieces in place, like how do they interact? So whether it's a coach 
part of a player group or different players, how they interact together, um, then something happens and you don't know exactly what culture that's going to produce. But I think that what we're seeing is, yeah, a team that likes to be with each other. I think it's a team that... um, I still don't think they have like the confidence yet. Like that kind of, it felt like the 2018 team, even though they hadn't won MLS cup or anything to that point, it did feel like a team that felt like they had that kind of championship mentality. You know, like they knew that they were the best team in MLS. I don't quite get the sense that this team is on that level. Um, but I get the sense that they're enjoying the project again, you know, like that they're kind of enjoying the position that they're in and fighting, fighting their way up the table and that they can see, um, you know, a tangible goal at the end of that. And so I think that, you know, sometimes during the Heinze era, it seemed like you could tell that the players really felt it was a grind and that a lot of them like weren't really having fun um, playing because of, you know, just how, kind of how brutal it was. And, um, you know, I'm sure Heinze's personality didn't really help uh, to that effect. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm I'm as interested as Jacob is in seeing how the culture does develop over. And I think it's we're going to get a lot more insight into that as we go through the end of this season. I would kind of sum up the three kind of eras, I guess, as we move into this new third one like this. Uh, I think that first group was like, it's definitely us. This is definitely ours. It is definitely us who's supposed to be on the end of a championship and everything like that. The second group, and I would put both Gabby and Frank's groups in this, is it needs to be us. Uh, it has mm-hmm, to be us. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And that is what kind of broke them mentally, I think. <laughs> Um, everyone involved was making the wrong choices, even though they knew it, it needed to be them. Um, and now we're kind of entering an era of why not us? Yeah. Why not us? Yeah, there you, you go. Know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of where it is at this point. It, it's not the same assuredness, but it is a sense, a growing sense at the very least that this team can make something happen. Not that they will, but that they can. And that's the different kind of confidence I think we're seeing in this team right now. <laughs> What? Okay, I have an analogy. Oh God! <laughs> you have the engagement. You have the engagement right period. Yeah. You have the dating and engagement period where you're just meeting each other. <laughs> Things are going great. Okay, it's great. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. You get married. That's like you win MLS Cup. You get married. It's amazing. And then you get into it, and it's like, okay, there's certain pressures now. There are certain pressures, and then you get the divorce, and it's like, ugh. And then you feel bad, you know, you feel you feel bad after the divorce. You feel bad going into the divorce when you kind of can see it coming, you know, on the on you can see it on the horizon. And then I feel like this team now is now is like we're getting back at it. We're going on the town. We're getting some confidence back. We're going to start dating again. Uh-huh. Maybe we'll find that next marriage. And so, yeah, there, there we go. This could theoretically what do you think? end with someone <laughs> crying at the righteous room, right? Like the bar just by themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that's fun. Just really fun. getting really in depth ways, with the yeah. bartender. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I hate to in depth, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't if they're by drinks. Uh, to, to answer John's question, are we having fun yet? Yes. Yes, we are. I'm having a lot more fun. Yeah. Uh, the team is just more fun to watch. It's more fun to win. It's fun to see, like, Joseph interact with people who make giant paintings of him now. Again, that's really fun. Um, everything's good as far as that goes. Nick, are, are we going to make the playoffs? Joe, do we want to make a call on that? Like, we can go on record right here. Right I, here in this moment. I would I would say yes. It feels like yes right now, doesn't it? I mean, I'm 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 But are we that dumb? I'm I'm, I'm getting more yes than a, than no in yeah. the uh, you know, the the yeah. Put a percentage on it. Um, I would say 69% yes. Neat. 
I'll go. I'll go a little lower. I'll say fifty-five. Fifty-five. That's still better. Way better than I ever thought we were going to be. Yeah. And, uh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, it all depends on the performance of players like Mateus Sesetu. Uh, Rob asked, "How can Sesetu play so well against Columbus and then so bad against LAFC? I can't recall such a night and day performance by any player." Hmm. Uh, Jack asked, "Can Sesetu be a long-term starter for this team in the middle? Struggled physically at times during the quick and powerful LAFC midfield. Uh, does he start when Araujo is?" fit um those are both very good thoughts um because he was not very good mm-hmm. against lafc he was okay against columbus i think that was kind of a relative thing like oh okay he's making passes i, I think other people were higher on his columbus performance than maybe i was um but right now he's kind of one of the only options but if you had to shift someone out of this midfield i, I think you'd probably drop marcy back uh, maybe drop Zeke back as well and put Araujo on the wing, you know, in like a four-three-three. If I'm thinking about this off the top of my head, right? I would Interesting. Hope to be the first person out. Interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I do think that I was high on on Rosetto after the Columbus game, but I, I do think that I was a little bit maybe too high on it. Um, I think I was kind of more surprised to see a, a solid, good performance out of him than anything. So I think I gave him like an eight rating after that game. And yesterday, honestly, I gave him like a six, I think. Um, so I didn't have him rated poorly at all, but it, I definitely could be wrong. And I know just by the numbers, his stats were way down. Uh, not to what you would have expected. Like, I think his past completion percentage was a little was in the mid 80s and instead of where it normally is which is like extremely high because he just passes it like five yards <laughs> to people uh typically so yeah i mean the thing i like about Rosetto is that he does want to like play a little bit more forward um and there's a little bit more differentiation with him and kind of like his role and Sosa um, as opposed to when Sosa plays with Sadich. I feel like they kind of get in their way a little bit, kind of like Marco and Moreno uh, have had a tendency to do this year, although in a totally different role and position. Um but, you know, I think that Jack makes a really good point here. And he says that, you know, he'll note that, you know, it's, it was tough for Azeto in the second half when LAFC moved to a three man midfield and Atlanta United was outnumbered three to two. I mean, Rosetto is not the, you know, steely mid central midfielder anyway. And so when you add him as a part of a midfield pairing that's outnumbered three to two, that's really going to I think that that's really why we saw LAFC really take control of that second half. So but it wouldn't but that would be a tough task for any any central midfield pairing to to try to win that battle when you're outnumbered. So um, I think the jury's still out on Rosetto. I'm not completely out on him, but um I don't know if I would swap him. I I don't know if I would swap him out to put Arauyuho in because um, I think you're a little bit light in midfield at that point. Um, That's fair. So, but I don't know what other good option there is I mean, though. Like, is maybe Franco Obaro like when he's healthy. What's that? He's not like winning the ball or anything like that. And I I'm know. I know. You're right. Like Moreno and Zeke wouldn't be just as press resistant. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, you know I, that's a good point. I mean, Maybe if you have a more offensive player there that's press resistant, that will actually kind of help you establish the game, establish yourself right. in the game. We're, we're just going to have to see what kind of happens here, but you got to get Arauzo on the field somehow. And it'll be interesting to see how they tr- how they implement Franco Abaro when he's back because he was really his role was growing um, considerably after Emerson Hyman's injury. He looked like he was going to be one of the central midfielders, the regular central midfielders under Heinze. So it'll be interesting to see how he figures into all this as well. Yeah, I guess. He- could theoretically just put Barco and Arauzo on the wing, right? Like you could. Yeah, that's what I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's hard to think about sometimes. I'm, I'm yeah, thinking like a four-two-three-one with uh, you know, you'll have okay. to drop a center back out, 
but you drop one of your center backs and then you will have a, that band of three would be Barco Moreno, Arayujo, and then it would, the, the midfield pairing would be Sosa. And then you just got to find that other, uh, that other player that can play next to Sosa. Well, let's see this real quick. Then Philip asked Franco Robinson walks, uh, name another back three in MLS that's playing better than those together right now. Um, and then someone else down here asked, uh, who do you drop? Right. Um, so, oh, is, if we do switch to a four in the back of Arujo, who gets the axe? That was Zay the Awesome Goat. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stay right there. Who do you drop? One, I can answer Philip's question, by the way. Oh, yeah? It's it's the group in Seattle. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. And, and all of them. They're, they're the ones playing better. But. They are. But I don't know who you drop out of this three. Like, it's tough. It's a tough decision because you're not dropping Miles Robinson. That's just yeah. str- off the top. So really this becomes, this comes down to who are you dropping between walks and uh, Alan Franco. And I know what changes this. What's that real quick. I mean, like we were like a half inch away from the narrative from this one being man, Alan Franco kind of pants. Uh, because I mean, if that, that offside goal is allowed, he's the one who gets beat and it confirmation biases a lot of folks there as far as his ability. Cause he just kind of seems to be on the wrong end of things Yeah, more, more than other folks do. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. That's a good point. I just it feels to me like he has been steadily getting better and better uh, over the last four weeks or so or like the last four or five games. And uh, as, a, as a player who's you know coming into a new country and showing that kind of form where he is progressively getting better, I feel like it's tough to you don't want to have to kind of not pull him out of his form like that. But also, I don't know how you drop walks either, because he's been so important for this team and he's so damn steady in terms of his positioning. Um, and just being able to read the game from the back, which is especially important when you're only playing with the back two. So I guess if I had to pick one, because I'm not going to, you know, we'll see my way out of this question. I will say Alan Franco would be the one that I would drop. I hate saying it, but you got to pick one. Yeah, I think I would agree right now at the very least. At the very least. Uh, someone you can't drop, Santiago Sosa. John asked Santiago Sosa better yesterday, but do you think he works best when dropping in between two center backs and a four rather than playing in front of a three? And Smurfy asking, am I biased or did Sosa look a lot better yesterday? I'm going to address that second one first. He did look better yesterday because he simply kind of had room to do it. You know, I, I'm not quite sure exactly why that worked out, especially in the first half, but he did have room to, to play diagonals a little more and honestly wasn't challenged much defensively. It didn't seem like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. And I actually think for that reason, I do think that he would work best. He, he will work better when this team does transition back to a back four and they insert uh, Louise in at that right wing spot um, because I think that it suits Sosa's game. And I think that's one of the advantages you get when you have a player like Santiago Sosa, who does what he wants to do. You get good passing range out of his position when you're in possession. Um, You know him. He loves to hit those diagonals like you were just mentioning, but also he's just like a big guy, big physical presence. And he almost he's like he's that hybrid center back. So it's when you're playing with him, it's almost like you can have another center back in there to help you yeah, defend in certain situations. So um, I do think that we will see a better version of him. You know, maybe in the first game, there might be some hiccups and things like that. But I do think that that is his natural position and I don't know if he'll do it exactly the same way that it was under Gabriel Heinze um, but you know that's a that's a what he does that movement to drop in between the center backs is not totally unique to Heinze you know we saw Jeff Lorenowitz doing that under Tata Martino um, so it's not totally unique but I, I do think that we will see the best out of him in a back four one of y'all weirdos who goes back and watches every game figure out why he had so much space in that first half, even <laughs> the LAFC 
were pressing. Uh, it just It's weird that he won. I mean, most teams have kind of marked him out of the game uh, once they kind of figured out that he was kind of the trigger for a lot of diagonals being played and everything like that. LAFC, for some reason, didn't necessarily do that. And the triggers weren't there to, to truly press him out of the game when he did get the ball, I think. It's it's weird to me. Someone go back and then then at Joe, and Joe will like tell me later the whenever other, I start caring. The other thing I, want, I just want to mention about Santiago Sosa is that you do have to remember that he's extremely young and he still has like less than like 30 professional games played in his career or something like that. Um, so he is still kind of learning his own position and, and where to, how to affect the game. Um, especially when tactically it's not maybe set up the best for what he likes to do. You know, uh, it really, it really struck me in the Montreal game. That was the two, two a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago um, where he had the back three behind him and his, you can just tell his natural inclination when he feels congested and feels like there are players all around him is to drop into that back line. But when the back three was back there, he, he realized he couldn't do that. He wasn't going to be able to create any space for himself by doing so. So um, he's been better at trying at manipulating his position um, with the back three since then. Uh, but I think that, yeah, it'll, he'll be better suited uh, in a back two or four. Uh, I had a couple questions about Zeke. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you meant. Um, I had a couple questions about Zeke, though. Dread Lasso asks, is Barco playing better recently or has he been playing well this whole time? And Pierce asks, is this the best form of Barco's at Lane United career? Uh, it's only been a couple games, I guess. But yeah, honestly, better recently as we've seen him look. Yeah. You know, he, he's playing better recently. Best form of his career so far. Maybe, maybe, honestly. And I think, again, it just kind of comes down to that freedom he's been allowed. He just kind of seems to understand. He has understood the assignment just a little bit better because I think the assignment is a little more clear and, and simple, you know, and, and fits his skill set. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that he has more freedom on the field to do what he wants to do and not feel like he's playing to a certain script. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what else there is to say about it. It's it's great to see uh, that he's playing with so much kind of confidence and freedom right now. And I, I also do just feel like when he came back from that Olympic cycle, um, there was just something different about the energy level, like the and the 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 desire. And I think that on part of it is probably personal for him trying to have the best possible end of the season that he can to try to get some of these moves that he, that he wants, because he's been still outspoken, even relatively recently saying that he wants to go to Europe, you know, like he doesn't want to go back to, he doesn't want to go to club America. He doesn't want to go back to Argentina. Obviously he wants to go to Europe, but no clubs are coming in for him. <laughs> so uh, I think that he realizes that, you know, he's got to step it up if he wants those offers to come in and get his move. Uh, T-Roll asks, Bello has been playing out of his mind lately. When the move to Europe comes, what price range do you think it will be? And what type of team would you like to see him go to? Bonus points for some specific predictions on team. Uh, price range kind of seems to be bumping up a little bit here, doesn't it? Maybe a little bit. It does. Maybe a little bit. It? Yeah. It, it does. I, I'm still struggling, though, with uh, with this. I'm struggling with... For I, I really need to go back and research a little bit more what some of these other MLS fullbacks have gone for and the ages they've been at and try to, you know, figure it into what Bellow is, how that plays into him. The best kind of age comparison are the two Dallas fullbacks is Reggie Cannon and Brian Reynolds. Right. Kind of gone over it. And those have been like four or five million. OK. You know, um, Boa Vista and... Oh my good god! I can't remember where Reynolds ended up at, but you know, Roma. Team, did he, did like he go that. to Roma? That's right. Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, um, so it, kind of the range there, but I, I could see. I mean, a lot Mello of, would be more than four or five million for sure. You think? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Because of his age, I mean, I think that I think he's quite a bit younger than than those two guys. Is he not? I don't know. Kind of. I don't even know how old Bello is right now. Is he twenty? I think he he was born after September 11th. That's the only thing I know. <laughs> oh, God. 
Oh, I, I don't know. Like a, a Boa Vista S though, or something like that kind of makes sense to me. Like a Vinicia, like some of the other MLS guys have gone to recently. Um, I think it's kind of that level, like a lower um, table yeah. top four league. Yeah. Does that make sense? I think that would be the better move for George. Like, I think that he ne- he needs to go somewhere where he's going to play regularly. Like, I'll never forget when DeAndre Yedlin signed with Tottenham. And it was just like, that's that was not the right club for DeAndre Yedlin to go to at that point in his career. Like, Tottenham, he it was going to be very, very difficult for him to break in there. Um, even as a backup, you know, and, and a lot of clubs nowadays are going to use, you know, two fullbacks on either side and kind of do, and do a lot of rotation at that position. So that's good for Bello. I think that that would that will ensure that he gets, you know, proper playing time. But, um, you know, you don't want to make the, a, a move to a club that's too big too soon. We've seen it so many times with some American players. Matt Miazga is another one, different position, but same similar situation when he moved to Chelsea um, and never broke in. Cameron Carter Vickers has been at Tottenham, has never broken in there. So, um, if he does go to kind of a, a club that's a little bit has a little bit lower prestige, I wouldn't you know hold it against George and his career and everything. You know, I think that that, that would probably be the, you know one of the better moves he could make for his development. I, one of the reasons I said I was struggling is because I, I was talking to Felipe and Doug recently about uh, Miles Robinson's transfer value and with miles you know, i heard i think matt doyle putting on twitter during the game at some point saying seven to ten million uh would be his range for miles robinson and at that price if that he's if he's talking dollars seven to seven to ten million american dollars um to me, that's just way too low. <laughs> I think that, you know, if it, if he costs seven million dollars, I would want Tottenham buying him like because that is chump change for so many of those Premier League teams. And Miles Robinson is a player who at, at the stage he is at, he could very well be America, the United States best or second best center back alongside John Brooks in the World Cup. And, um, you know, he's going to be he could be uh, to me. Miles Robinson could start for a lower to mid table Premier League team. No problem. And I think that a lot of those teams could benefit from somebody like Miles Robinson and his athleticism and size to be able to, like, man up against Romelu Lukaku or somebody like that, that they're going to be facing in the Premier League. So for that reason, I just feel like that market value is way underselling Miles Robinson. But he's at a very different point in his career. And obviously there's like the age plays a large part of this transfer value where George Bello is four or five, six years younger, perhaps. So um, there's so much that goes into it, but uh, it's certainly, I can't wait to kind of see where, what it ends up at. But unfortunately I think both are likely to be gone at the end of this season or this yeah, off season. I, I agree with all that. I agree with all that. Miles needs to go for more. I think George is probably going to be four to six million, probably in that same range. I know. Honestly. Yeah. I never answered, answered the question about Bello. I would say, I would say 7 million for Bello. Okay. That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, let's move on to this. Uh, looking forward now. Pace Nino asks, where does that original fit in the three, five, two? And I don't, I don't necessarily think he does considering the slide up. I mean, you could put him at wing back theoretically, but that takes away he's left footed, right? Mm-hmm. Boy George. Uh, so let's not do that, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it does either. Because another thing about him that Carlos Bocanegra and can't remember if Rob has spoken about this or not, but um, they talk about his work rate and his willingness to track back. And if that is a big, you know, part of his game, then you're not going to want to put him at striker. You're going to want to kind of utilize that work rate that he has to, you know, on the wing and, tra- and track that fullback. So, you know, I'm sure there will be times where it kind of looks like a three, five, two when he's on the field and he's probably pushed up higher alongside Joseph and Sosa's drop back. And so that's the beautiful thing about him is that, and, and this team in general is that you can kind of, you know, shift the shape 
scrape around a little bit during the during the game and you know find ways to exploit the opponents um based on the matchups dr vote md uh thanks for gracing us with your presence doctor ask with the pineda hire what are the chances we see a klinsman low situation where the assistant is actually better than the manager it's i, I get where the question is coming from people love rob i love rob we all love rob um but i mean he's still gonna be a part of the staff oh I, know, I think I, he was i thought he was talking about pineda and schmetzer maybe i'm maybe not oh like no, Pineda no, being no. better than Schmetzer as a, I don't know oh uh well I mean if he is basically just Brian Schmetzer with like more tactical knowledge and a bigger budget that should go great right <laughs> yeah I, I would I would hope so think so yeah I mean it's hard again it's really hard to predict exactly what Pineda like we know who he is as a person but it's hard to just judge him yet um yeah. at what but, he is I as mean, a manager he literally has not managed a game yet so <laughs> which leads to the next kind of difficult thing um we'll, we'll do both of these uh christian asks which players will benefit most from having pinedo lead the team tony ask any clue or idea on how pinedo will handle the back line when miles is gone for the world cup qualifiers so we keep it a back three or move to a form and back line all of those are good questions that we just don't know because he has not managed a single game in his professional career and that's why we're hoping to talk to nico moreno this week for the patrons so we can get those answers as well as you guys um hopefully maybe he'll have some more to share although even if somebody were to ask me if like one of our assistants left and like went to some other <laughs> went to some other club yeah, and someone wanted no to ask idea. me about yeah i wouldn't know like i don't know what what the hell he does so hopefully we can get some more context about pineda but honestly it's still still a, a bit of a mystery aside from what we learned at the press conference uh, i do want to mention this quote he had in, in a conversation with um i can't remember the guy's name but someone from seattle uh earlier this summer he says i have three main influences in my career ricardo la volpe for sure tactically his style of always attack 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 and how to always play from the back positionally movement tactics i learned a lot from ricardo la volpe uh, then obviously hugo sanchez and that's more about the mentality and the hard work and how to involve everyone to achieve something and then Enrique Mezia, excuse me, Enrique Meza, uh, who has a lot of similarities to Brian Schmetzer, a great human being first and very clear coach that looks at specific details technically on the players. And I shared that vision with him about the little fundamentals, the pass and the first touch. Sometimes we overthink the game. Sometimes we overthink the game talking about 4-3-3 against 5-2-3. But at the end of the day, if a player can't connect a five-yard pass, you're done. Uh, so that's the full quote. Uh, you can kind of take what you want from that. He wants to attack. He wants to do things well. I think everyone does. <laughs> you're right. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. I mean, maybe that was insightful, but I, I do like that he kind of mentioned the Volpe and, and yeah. um, being progressive, being forward thinking, because that's obviously what a lady United wants to do. Yeah, for sure. So what you want to do and what you have to do right now is answer these questions very quickly. This is rapid fire pace and email ask brooks didn't look like himself yet think he'll be 100 soon uh, i think you're right he did look kind of a, a step slow <laughs> he, but he looked like a rag doll at one point he got like burned twice once yeah oh, he did like yeah, he he back, back, back to back out. yeah oh, well i think doug doug roberson laughed out loud <laughs> that's how bad it was uh christian asked uh do we get another new manager bump when Pineda takes the helm i'm imagining like a double bounce yeah like, you know like when someone jumps on the trampoline and you get a second one super bigger yeah the super so, yeah. smash bros double jump yes i'm all for exactly. it exactly exactly quick story i broke my stepbrother's leg doing that one time <laughs> oops sorry branch <laughs> T-Roll asked, y'all like having the roof open for our games? I always feel so bad for our supporter section getting cooked in the sun. No, no, no. That's objectively funny. Because it, it looks like God is like doing the anthill thing with a magnifying glass on one section of the stadium. And that makes me laugh every time. I do feel for you a little bit, but also... 
I, in, in a much more real way, I don't. Yeah, it's a good reminder, though. I put something out about Joseph saying that the turf is tougher on his knee and everybody's like, let's get out of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's like, well, do you want to just go back? Like people, it's easy to forget that when in when the game was at Bobby Dodd Stadium, you were absolutely roasting in the sun during those games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's go. Ducks 96 asks from decibel range zero to 100. How loud were the shrieks of the defeated? yesterday uh full credit to lafc they brought a huge supporters group content. that's what i heard just massive, yeah. just massive. so i i think like a like a decibel levels are uh exponential so like 80 and then like 81 is like 80 times all that plus <laughs> one i guess i explained that really surely let's go like 83 for the decibel levels of the streets of the field uh best first touch uh is that really his name? I don't know if I... Okay, best first touch asked. Who has the best first touch on the team? I don't know if that's who actually asked that. Uh, best first touch? Who does have the best first touch on the team, Joe Patrick? I don't know. I'd say Joseph, actually. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. I was going to say Zeke, I think. Was, it's probably between there. those two, I would I would say. Yeah. Uh, Pineda Colada asked, will we ever <laughs> lose again? Not if we're coming up with quality names like Pineda Colada. Uh, Michael asked, do you think we'll have Bello and Robinson next year? No, we do not. Kurt asked, are we watch a, watching Atlanta and Vent doing a Seattle? I don't think we're quite doing a Seattle. I think we're doing a half Seattle. Damn. Seattle? I think it's a Seattle. I think it, I think it qualifies as a Seattle. It, it's not completed yet, though. Has to have to make the playoffs for it to be a, a full Seattle. Well, I would think a full Seattle would be making MLS Cup out of all this. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Okay. Uh, Paolingui asks, uh, what does the saxophone emoji reaction in the Discord mean? I need to know. It just, are you ready for this? It means I'm jazzed. There we go. <laughs> and, th- and, th- and thank you for the amazing translations that you gave us the other day. That's why oh, yeah, being in the cool. Patreon is uh, huge. Uh, Shay Adam asks, thoughts and feeling on Sadich and his role since being here? Perfectly fine for what he is. Totally here for it. Good work, Sadich. Yeah, I love him. Yep. Good role uh, player. Kurt, Asked Barco is Joseph's son, Brad Kassan is the mom, Joseph was Orlando's dad. How does the rest of this family tree look? I don't quite know. I know that Larry is the grandpa and Chris McCann is the weird uncle who showed up to this party. You're not sure how he showed up to this family event. No one invited Chris McCann, but he's there. Chris McCann is willingly sitting at the kids' table during the family meals. (laughs) And the rest of the the adults are like, why is he just willingly going to sit with them? Is this your card? No, Uncle Chris. <laughs> anyway. Um, He's doing pull my fingers. Yeah. He loves exactly. that joke. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. All right. That was rapid fire. Um, Joe, any, any final thoughts for you? Uh, no, we got a quick turnaround. Another game coming up. Hopefully I'll be able to be there. That'll be fun. Love it. Uh, all right. Check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash five stripe final. Uh, go follow us on Twitter at five stripe final. Go follow Joe on Twitter at jpatrick200. Go follow me on Twitter at j underscore Sam Jones. Go check out all my stuff on MLSsoccer.com. Got a piece up about Joseph. Got power rankings coming out on Tuesday. Got another piece about an Atlanta United project uh, coming out later this week, hopefully. So some good things going up on there. And of course, Joe Patrick can find him on 19.9 the game and all his stuff on Dirty Stuff Soccer as well. All right, let's get out of here. We love you. Bye, y'all.
thanks for tuning in everyone to this completely arbitrary internet content piece.